and I'd like to try to um, return to the topic that was brought up last week and see if we can explore that a little bit more and try to figure out what really is the best step-by-step -step approach in a situation where we are um, sort of subject to experiencing a very, very powerful negative feelings towards someone who maybe has hurt us in the past and we're still reminded of that, or it can even be of an ongoing nature where they're relating to us in a way that's very difficult for us and we have very powerful negative feelings as a result towards that person. You know, <laughs> we heard about Masul Sasharim saying that um, a person wants revenge and has no peace without it. I think we can take the approach of even if, you know, we aren't harboring desire for hurting somebody, but at the very least, you know, it's very hard for us to feel in any way positive, close to them, comfortable with them, and um, it's very painful. So I would like to raise the question of what is really the first step that needs to be taken? What is the first thing that we need to analyze in this process? And uh, I was sitting with um, a very fine rav in the uh, Five Towns area at a simcha, and they shared with me something very insightful, but I would like to hear from you, Rabbi say if you want to take a shot at this question. And what really is the first step that we have to take in such a situation, let's say where it's an ongoing situation, where we feel that we're being wronged by somebody, um, and it's very, very painful to us. So if anybody wants to jump on board, you're invited. Otherwise, you know, I'm happy to, to start the ball rolling. Sir, can, can you repeat the question again? Yes, the question is, the situation where, um, let's say, somebody is relating to us in a way that is very hurtful. And it's of an ongoing nature. And it's causing very powerful feelings of resentment, negative feelings, the kind that the Muslim Sharm was talking about. Um, and he says it's only easy for Malachim not to, not to feel. I don't know why he chose this area per se to contrast us with Malachim. But uh, we understand very well that when we are being related to by somebody in our life that uh, causes us to feel very put down or hurt or disrespected or deprived of what we feel is rightfully proper, um, that it's going to be very hard for us. And it may even, of course, turn into uh, very negative feelings against that person, which, um, of course, the Torah is um, teaching us something about. 
uh, how to try to um, overcome that, and that we need to overcome that. So we know that we need to try to overcome that, but yet it's very difficult. So I'm raising the question of what is the first step in the process? What is really the first step in the process? Acceptance, acceptance that you have this feeling. Trying to realize that you, you have these feelings. Oh, okay. I hear, I hear. That's a very good point. Um, I'll, I'll just try to elaborate. You tell me if this is what you have in mind. Um, there could be a nature in a person, there is a nature in a person to, in a certain sense, try to be in denial if it's not total, it's at least partial. So if we are experiencing very powerful feelings, which you know we're not comfortable with, which we wish would go away, so we may try to uh, ignore it, try to repress it, try to um, believe it's going to go away by itself, and um, not even really realize that this is something major that really is going on in us, in our life. In a certain sense, um, the fundamental emuna, that's everything that's in our life is by design, does help us a little bit to even accomplish that first basic step of the recognition that, yeah, this is something major that is here and I can't just wish it away. I can't just wish away their behavior and I can't just wish away my feelings. So uh, in a certain sense, I have to recognize that it needs to be addressed somehow, which, which I might really wish wouldn't have to be. And I might want to try to ignore it. And it's really better not to. Does that, does that sound correct, Al? Yeah. Okay. Okay, very good. Um, Rabbi, how does that sound? No, no one is forced to respond, just only invited whenever I ask that question. Okay. So, um, so let's, let's accept that as the first step. What would then be the second step? Okay, I realize that there is this issue. I really have a challenge here. What is, what is my first step in dealing with it? What I'm going to tell you, I think, is something that we don't usually hear, but really makes a lot of sense. So the idea that I heard recently is that, or the way I understood it, is that really the first thing we need to figure out is, is there anything that I can do and need to do and ought to do about this situation, whether to protect myself in the future, um, to sort of advocate for my own rights in the situation, course, sometimes it involves having a conversation with the other person, as uh, we find in the Rambam, which is discussing, of course, even if it's not an ongoing situation, and certainly if it is an ongoing situation, 
where it's a mitzvah of the Torah to speak to the person and say to them, why did you do this or why are you doing this? Of course, in whatever best language we could find. And I think it's a fascinating thing that we find many times that when there is some kind of a resolution, and sometimes even if it means uh, having to have a, uh, a, uh, a real case in courts in Dresden, but when there's some kind of a resolution that takes place, those negative feelings are greatly reduced. And I think it really makes sense. And I think this was really touched on in the Shleim Zimbin's Tishabov address that there can really be um, feelings in a person that really have to do with motivation to protect myself and stand up for myself. But if I don't do that, then they can be replaced by just resentment and blame. And really there is like underlying strong feeling that could be of a constructive nature. It's really meant to motivate me to protect myself and in a certain sense demand justice. It may not be so easy to do, but if, if I don't undertake that, I don't employ that method that really is the best one, although it may not be easy, then often it could just transform into just resentment towards the other person. That sort of like takes over. And then it's really like much worse than otherwise would be or needs to be. Of course, if things will be improved going forward, it's not gonna be an ongoing cause of the negative feeling. But even if in, in terms of something in the past, you know, if, if really what I'm feeling is I ought to stick up for myself, but I don't, and instead it sort of transforms to just resentment and anger, blaming the other person, then it's much worse than it might otherwise have to be. So I really need to have that measure of assertiveness, of real uh, respect to myself, to recognize that if I'm being related to it in a negative kind of way, that's not valid, or if there's some question about it, that that needs to be clarified, that needs to be discussed, or if sometimes a third party needs to be brought in to um, clarify the situation between the two of us, that's really the first step. I need to first do what needs to be done to address it in a real practical way going forward. And sometimes even with regard to the past where the person is given the opportunity either to explain, which sometimes could be the case that it's a misunderstanding or even to apologize. And that's really the first step. Is there anything to do in a practical sense about this situation. How does that sound, everybody say?
Sounds good to me. Okay, Gary, what do you think? It, it, it sounds okay to me, but you know, it, it sounds like you know, kind of media, mediation position first, right? Sometimes, sometimes we need, you know, if we, if we have that benefit, somebody that can help to mediate it. That's that's good. Um, in a certain sense, I'm thinking that even if we somehow um, wind up choosing to not engage, we should at least recognize, okay, that's a choice that I'm making. We should know that if, if somehow we had that ability, that courage, that fortitude, so to speak, to address the situation, the other person, then maybe things could be different. And then maybe even that could help me. I can know that the amount that I'm feeling is not, you know, purely because of sort of what they're guilty of. It also has to do with the fact that um, I might really need to be doing something for myself. And when I'm not, it becomes much harder. So that could also help me to sort of like lessen the negativity towards the other person. It's not really all about them. Not, not only all coming from them, so to speak. It's also the part that really is of myself. It's a, a power within me to stick up for myself. That's whatever reason I'm not employing. And at least that I should not sort of divert against the other person. And I think that could help a little bit. I shouldn't, in a sense, like blame them for more than what they are guilty. Well, that, which, is, which is not a simple concept, but I think that we could sense that this really could be the case many times. Go ahead, Avi. What about if, if the mediator says that the best thing to do is, is um, like you were talking about, you know, standing down or, you know, like. You said you should make the choice if you're not going to engage. But let's say the best thing you're told to is to is to not engage, and not necessarily meaning. You, you get right. what I'm trying to say, right? So then that, that that brings us to the to the next level, so to speak, or the next kind of situation where there really isn't anything that I can do practically. And, and sometimes, of course, when it comes to something in the past. There may not be any opportunity anymore or any real practical possibility of addressing it with the other person. Um, and even in the present, sometimes there are people that we realize it's not really possible to have that conversation with them. So then at least we know that this is not part of what is our responsibility in the situation. That that's that uh, standard um, clear advice of the Torah, or even mitzvah of the Torah, like the Ramam says, of going speaking to the person, that's not uh, really possible. Nothing positive could come from it. Okay. So then, what will be the next step? 
I'd like to examine what 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 would be the 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 most sort of in order, going in order. What is the next step in the process? Um, or at least a major step. I cannot do anything to change it in terms of anything practical that's in my power. I don't have control to change the situation. And I have already accepted the reality that this is a situation in my life. And there are these very, very powerful feelings that I'm experiencing. which I don't want to really ignore and push away. I want to be aware of them. Any suggestions of Boisai on what is the next best step or the best next step? And I'll give you a moment to think about that. Is that okay? Do you mind giving a uh, taking a moment to think. Okay. I think I'm ready. Um, any suggestions that boys say? Okay. <laughs> Vanny. Well, they're all welcome, Gary. Go ahead. We'll take the, we'll take them all, and you know we'll try to sort this out together. That's what we're trying to do here. I don't know what what the next step in escalation would be. Okay, let's try to put yourself on the scene. You're experiencing something very powerful, emotional. And you are, you're not trying to avoid it or just wish it away. Like my buddy that does the same thing at work as me is making more money than me. Okay. Okay. That's good. So he's not even, you know, interacting with you negatively, just a situation where we're both in this company, right? And he's making more than me and is really eating at me. So it's between me and us, not me and my coworker. Right. That could be. But, you know, we can have a variety of situations where somebody is reacting directly to me in a negative way. But this is also a valid one where there's something in my life that's really tough. That is there. That's not going away. And, and I'm not trying either to try to um, just uh, avoid it and ignore it. I'm willing to be aware of it. So my guess is that the best next step is to try to learn from it about myself. Try to use, of course, this may require a little bit of like taking a step back. And while I'm allowing myself to experience it, but also to try to be observing it and trying to learn from it about myself and understand 
Why is this so powerful? Specifically, when it involves another person, I could ask, would it be the same thing if it would be some other person? Someone I don't have that same kind of relationship with. Would it also be so powerful in my life? Or would it be perhaps very different? And maybe I can use that to learn something about myself and learn something about this relationship. Maybe I'll discover something that maybe, you know, at a younger age, I wasn't ready yet to even grasp, but certainly not to do something about or grow through or grow above. But maybe now I am ready. Because after all, you know, underlying everything, we know that whatever is taking place in our life is very precisely being measured and sent to us. And only for the sake of our being able to use it. So one sort of very basic way I would think how to use it, which is you know even very practical, is to try to learn from it. Why is this so powerful to me? And it's maybe a window to discover an opportunity for very significant growth. Let's take, for example, that situation of somebody else making more money than me in the company. And if I ask myself, well, why does this bother me so much? And if I could discover that because I am really relying upon my success, my financial success, my competitive success, so to speak, for my basic self-worth. I am measuring myself and how, how worthy I am, how good I am, whether I am a success or a failure based on how I'm doing in the financial arena. And it's, you know, that's very common, very understandable, very natural. But at the same time, I could say to myself, I can ask myself, but is that really true? Is it really true that my self-worth is in some way or any way dependent upon my financial success? even if my financial success would be in my own power, which of course it's not, but even if it would be, would my basic self-worth be um, in need of my financial success? Would it be dependent upon that? Could the greatest success really add anything to my true self-worth? And once I'm faced with this, I might be able to use it to discover that that very natural attitude is one that I do not believe to be true. Just I have not yet incorporated the truth into my 
you know, inner being. The, the, the things that are tangible, tangible measurements are very naturally gravitated to. And if we're looking for, there's a power in us to look for some tangible measurement. And we have that weakness that Hashem has created within us of not being aware of our true self, of our true definition, of our true essence. And, and through that, as a result of that, looking towards material things, tangible things, as a way of ascertaining whether we are okay, whether we're good enough, whether we're successful. And if those aren't forthcoming in the way that we have sort of set up, you know, in our mind, consciously or unconsciously, then of course it can be very difficult. So if everything would be going well, then there would be no need for any new discovery. Oh, it's terrific. I'm doing the best in the company. So I can go on and on and on with that attitude of, you know, my success comes to my financial success. My, my worth is for my, my financial success. That is just doing great. And then I won't learn anything new. That would not be good. Now that I'm faced with this challenge and I'm coming into awareness that this is really how I'm seeing myself as okay or not okay, based on the comparison that I make with the other person or persons in my company. And I have an opportunity to discover that this is not what I truly believe, but it is nevertheless quite sort of, you know, integrated or prevalent. That's my, my natural thought pattern, my natural feeling. But I can question it, and I can try to put myself on the course of focusing on what I really know to be true, that the neshama is of such a immeasurable value that there's nothing of any physical nature that could possibly add anything to it. It is such a exalted level that exceeds anything in creation. So then there's no kind of success or failure that could add or subtract anything to it. Of course, it needs to actualize itself. It has a great mission, but its innate value is untouchable and not in need of anything to uh, bolster it. So in that sense, this, this real challenge can turn into, can be utilized as a vehicle for very major growth. In a similar way, when a person in our life is relating to us in a way that is hurtful. And we know that if it would be somebody else, some other person we don't have this kind of relationship with, it would be much less important. And we'll discover that a lot of our self-worth is coming from what we receive from other significant people in our life, which is also very understandable, very natural. 
But nevertheless, do we believe that that is the real truth? That our self-worth comes from another person? From another person giving it to us? Yes, it will be painful when they do not give it to us. But are we able to recognize that if they are failing in their interaction with us, it does not diminish our true self-worth? Can we pause for one second? Um, are you talking about like adult relationships or people, you know, or as I mean, as opposed to parents, like let's say a child, like would that be true over there? You're just saying, um, right? So, of course, we, we cannot expect of a child to be able to be impervious to uh, the, the parents who are so significant in their life. But but some of those not good interactions could linger even into adulthood. Right, right. And even and even within adulthood, somebody that's a really important person in our life, my boss, my spouse, my parents, even when I'm grown up, um, a Rebbe, someone of Torah stature that I have a good respect for and have some kind of connection with and would hope to also receive the, the good interaction that you know we all hope for and do really need in life to be able to you know have that the best good feeling and we receive something negative or at least uh, we're now receiving the positive that we were hoping for that would be so good for us. It could cause, um, you know, a very uh, big disturbance in our whole self-worth. To be able to, to look at that and examine it and ask ourselves. And I don't know for sure if we'll be able to really sense the answer. But we may be able to suggest to ourselves the answer. That it really makes sense that somebody who... We do respect others' respect that is important to us in our life, that we really are hoping to you know, have as a person in our life that's giving us very good interaction. And if even on occasion or on a number of occasions, we don't receive it or we receive something negative, then that's like, that could be like shaking what has been until that point, the foundation or a foundation of our basic self-worth. Somebody that we were looking to, to you know, affirm our worthiness, to give us respect and to, to a certain, certain sense rely upon that. Oh, if they are respecting me, then I'm good, then I'm okay. And if they're not, then it could really be um, very difficult. But that can also be an opportunity for us to ask ourselves this very powerful question. Is my true self-worth in any way dependent on the, the proper interaction of even the most important person in my life or more persons in my life? Or is my true self-worth something that is that is above and 
unaffected, untouched, innate, absolute, and really infinite. Like the Ramban says that the, the essential design of the neshama is to be eternal. It's only in a person's power to cut off the connection to Hashem. But innately is designed to be of an infinite nature. And of course, to receive the maximum good that Hashem wants to give, which is of the good of Hashem himself, that can only be given to the neshama through its process in this world of coming close to Hashem. That no created being has even been shown or could be shown what it is. Only the person who receives it can know it. So this is of a value that is way beyond anything of this world's content to add to it. Of course, this is very lofty. This is very abstract. It's not something we can touch and feel. But we can contemplate it. We can make some contact with it. And maybe if other things that we would otherwise be relying upon or, you know, give us that good feeling about ourselves are not fully present, then we will be able to utilize that situation to search for the truth and to put in the work that we need to do, that we all need to do, to come in contact with the truth. And in that sense, that, that negative experience is a trigger for a significant self-discovery. Okay, how does that sound so far, Baisai? Can you just try to explain the last, the last part of how, like what that discovery can become when a person's, you know, seeing how they're, they don't want to, let's say in their relationship. So they, that could be a discovery where it changes their whole perception of what they had thought they needed. And when they don't get it, they learn that maybe this isn't really what I need and what I thought I needed. And now they can, you know, transform that into a higher level of seeing how Hashem is the one that gives the ultimate, that part of like the Hashem part, <laughs> more on that. Oh, well. I think it's sort of coming full circle to where we started. Um, you know, before you came on, Avi, I was talking to Gary about um, the idea of uh, the three matanes that Hashem gave to Kali Yisrael, Torah, Eretz Yisrael, Olam Haba, are all through Yisurim. All through some difficulty, pain, sacrifice, 
and the suggested explanation based on the morale is that to achieve something of a true spiritual nature, like Torah, which is the wisdom of Hashem, and of course, al and even Eretz Yisrael, such a unique, great gift, it needs to like lessen the connection to the material world, which we are very rooted in as, you know, what we can see and sense with our senses. We, we are surrounded. We are very, uh, shall we say, like integrated or sort of implanted in the physical existence. So to really achieve something spiritual, that needs to be lessened. So in a certain sense, the good um, affirmation and respect and good relatedness that of course we naturally want very much and that um, have, this great, have, a, have great benefit in its own rights is integral to Torah uh, very often serves for us also in a very fundamental way for our basic self-worth. And I'm suggesting that that's why it is so painful to us when certain people are relating to us in a hurtful way, much more so than if someone else who is not of the same position in our life would relate the same way. Because those other people are not disturbing something that's of a foundation for us. But the, but, but the good respect and affirmation and validation of people that matter to us that's something that we rely upon in a very fundamental way. And of course, at the youngest age, of course, the child is dependent on the care and the respect and the good relationship of the parents. And that's not something that just all of a sudden transforms by itself. So we need to do it, of course, as we mature and learn the Torah and discover that human being is the exalted creation of Hashem. And his true essence, his true worth is, is immeasurable, it's indescribable. But we don't always have such a powerful need for that. On the occasions when somebody that we may have been relying upon or hoping for, whether we realized it or not, is, is somehow lacking. So we're feeling that situation very powerfully because that person's not good interaction with us is taking that away from us. And that could be opportunity for us to, in a sense, like let go of that more physical, material, tangible means of sensing our self-worth and turn towards the more purely spiritual form of it. And that's based on our recognition of our seichel, of our das, our knowledge of the Torah, of our muna and the Torah. So if the Rambam says that no Navi was shown that means that what Hashem is giving to a person, to the neshama, 
is of such exalted nature that no one in this material existence can even know about it. That's what the neshama is, a being that's worthy of such a closest to Hashem that it cannot even be shown to any Navi in this worldly existence. That's, that's absolutely mind-boggling. I'll even take it in. But maybe if we need to, we can summon that. That's motivation, that courage to try to take it in, to try to access the truth of the Torah as our truth, as our foundation, as the sense of ourself, and let go of whether we're getting it from somebody else. And we can't expect it to be, you know, a quick, a very quick process. But we can hope that we can get there and we can be okay with engaging in that process. See, I'm afraid that there is a, a major challenge sometimes we're not aware of that we don't really recognize when it comes to employing um, concepts of the Torah in our life, especially ones that are a little bit novel. Because something that's new, something that's a little bit lofty, we have a, we have a, a nature, it's all from the Sahara, where it says to us, or we say to ourselves, you know, in all good sincerity, I'm not on that madriga. I'm not on that level to be able to accomplish this. And that sort of like shuts us down. We think like, no, we cannot try to go in this direction. That would only be for the great tzaddik. But um, that may not really be true. Not to suggest that we can reach it, you know, in an instant, but the sort of the, the giving up on it, the attitude that this is above my level and um, I could never reach it. That may only be the presentation of the Eitzahara. And it may not be easy, like we saw in Sulasashara. This may be something that's not easy, but that could be okay. We don't have to be sort of giving up running away because something is not easy. We're not put in this world, you know, just to have an easy time. So if we see a situation where it could be something in our life that is directing us, in a certain sense, almost helping us, that's, we're discovering at first, we're first discovering, oh, this is why this is so painful, because I'm relying on this person, or I'm relying on my success, or I'm relying on my life being pleasant and undisturbed to feel okay about myself. And here, I'm not finding the material success. I'm not finding the material recognition. I'm not finding the best good 
affirmation from significant other people. So then I'm realizing, oh, because I, because I naturally rely upon that for my basic feeling of self-worth. And, and this gives me the opportunity to question, is that really correct? Is that really truth? But I believe this to be true. When I discover, oh, I am tremendously disturbed by this because it's pulling away my foundation. And I can ask myself, was that supposed to be the, my foundation anymore? Oh, maybe not. Okay, but the, but the true foundation isn't in place yet. That's okay. At least I know where I have to start building. I know where I have to start focusing. What is my true value as a person? And the Shema is infinite value. It's called Chelek Elokat. It's called Salam Elokit. It has a mission to come to emulate Hashem, to come close to Hashem, to be called Dovek Basham, to receive the good that is of Hashem. Oh. Is that subject to anything else to add to it, to enhance it? Can anything be added to that? Nothing can be added to the Neshama's innate value. All, that can, all that's left to add is that the Neshama should utilize its potential to its fullness to actualize its mission in life. As Hashem is giving to us and commissioning us and sending us to do His great work to be his partners, able to receive all the good that he wants to give us, the infinite, infinite good. Okay, does this make any sense what I say? You have to tell me yes or no. My neshama heard what you said. That's the bottom line. <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense. Um, can you I heard what I had to hear. Did, did you sense that or you just believe that? I, I was like a little bit joking. Um, <laughs> no, it, it does make sense. I mean, I, I feel like what you're saying basically is that if our self-esteem or our self-worth, you know, naturally come from many different places and it's channeled at a certain point in our life when we're mature enough to see it to realize that ultimately it's really from Hashem and it's from our deepest part of ourselves Shema, then you know that's that's the goal and that that's really what that's what we want to strive for right and and, and in a very strange kind of way this um this essentially painful life experience can be the springboard to, to the, as the need and as the means to help us to discover. But in a certain sense, like it's innate because by really understanding it, it puts us in touch with 
the fact that we are in a significant way living not in truth, due to no fault of our own, not in, not in the form of commission, maybe in the, maybe in the form of you know omission that we haven't focused on this enough, and we didn't realize we didn't know how much we needed it. In a similar kind of way, uh, you know, a person who is very stable financially may not have the need to work on bitachon. Everything is fine. That's that. That's a big loss to him. Someone who is in a very tenuous situation and is always turning to Hashem to help him find his next day sustenance. He has a great assistance to acquire the meat of bitachon. He still has to work at it. It's not going to just come to him automatically, but it is. It, is, it, it could, although it is in a sense quite stressful, nothing that he would be you know, hoping for. But nevertheless, if that is what's given to him, this could be something that he could use in a very positive way. Gary, is this making sense to you? You can tell me the truth. <laughs> I, I guess so. You're you're saying to channel the feelings of negative self worth and examine why and try try to figure out that you've got your own self worth and it doesn't have to be measured against another guy. Right, not measured against another person, not being given to me by another person or by my life situation. Um, I got a gift from Hashem of my neshama and I'm a worthy human being just because I've got a neshama from Hashem. Infinitely worthy. Every person is supposed to say, the Gemara says, that the entire world was created for them. That's why Adam Arisha was created as a single individual to show us that every person who comes into the world is supposed to recognize of themselves as being worthy of the entire creation. That's, that's the mission in Sanhedrin. And that's what we say to the Adim who are testifying that they should be very cautious to testify only truthfully, because if heaven forbid they testify falsely, they are bringing harm to themselves, who are a being of such greatness, of such value, that they are worthy of the entire creation. And of course, what Hashem has in, in plan to give to every person is of such exalted nature that's such closest to him that capacity to come close to him which is in our power and of such an exalted nature is this Jewish people or do do Goyim have this too so Ram says that even even the righteous of the other nations also have a share in the world to come But they have to be fulfilling their mitzvot based on the fact that it was taught to Moshe Rabbeinu and Sinai. But they are able, if they have the proper understanding, the proper relationship, 
to Hashem and the fulfillment of their mitzvot, that they also can earn a share in the world to come. Um, the, the, the essential challenge that we have in terms of relating to the other nations is that we look identical on the outside. So it's very natural for us to feel that we really are all the same. But in truth, the, the makeup of the Jewish neshama is of a different nature. So although we look very much the same in the physical sense, um, if we would so look deeper or perceive deeper, we recognize that the Jewish nation is of a uniquely exalted nature, but in, in, you know, in, in context of that, nevertheless, the other nations also can earn a share in the world to come, which is very great. And amazingly, the Rambam at the end of the laws of Shemitah and Yovel, where he talks about the whole concept of Shevet Levi being supported so they can be totally involved in the service of Hashem and studying and teaching Torah. The Rambam ends off and he says, not only Shevet Levi, but any single person in the world, call Echad Mikal Boya any person who comes to the world who is inspired to abandon all the unimportant and immaterial and unworthy pursuits that most people are involved in, and he, and he chooses for himself to, to be dedicated to serve Hashem, he is sanctified in the greatest holiness. He says, I raise in this Kaddish, Kaddish Kaddash. Ram's Lashon is not Kol Echad Mi Yisrael. He says, Kol Echad Mi Kol Boi Ha'ola. So it seems that even a non-Jew can become fantastically sanctified by dedicating himself to serve Hashem. So uh, <laughs> they're not left out. But so much for, for Jewish people. The Jewish people have even a higher level. Like the Mishnah in Avos says, Chaviv Adam, beloved is man who's created in the image of Hashem. And the Taisus Yantav there in Tzvarev Yisrael are very strong in their understanding of the Mishnah that includes also non-Jew. This was definitely the approach of Slabatka that we received our teaching from. Um, and then Mishnah continues. Chaviv uh, in Yisrael, Jewish people have even a greater belovedness that we are called Banim Lamak. We are called Hashem's children. Even the greater level, we have Tzalem Elikim, plus that close relationship that is only described through the marshal of the child, father to child. Then the mission continues in even a greater belovedness that we were given that, that precious instrument for which the, through which the world was created and for which the, the world was created. And that is the Torah. The Jewish people were given to study the Torah in its fullness, which is the primary purpose 
of their creation and the creation of the world, the studying and the fulfillment of the Torah in its entirety. The other nations have seven mitzvahs, and we have the entirety of the Torah with all its breadth and depth. That chemda, that precious utensil, that precious vehicle, that precious item that Hashem himself delights in being involved with. Because I'll say, Hashem is mishtasheya in the Torah. He is delighting in the Torah. He wrote the Torah. <laughs> right. But somehow, whatever this means, Hashem himself still continues. It says by Moshe Rabbeinu that Hashem reviewed it together with Moshe Rabbeinu. After Hashem taught it to Moshe, then they reviewed it together. So Hashem's connection to the Torah and to the Jewish people through the Torah is of course, indescribable nature, such closeness. So that we have of a uniquely great nature. And that all contributes enormously to our own sense of self-worth. And it's very important to know that the Chavetz Chaim brings from the Gra. This is brought in Sefer Shem Oilam, Perikid Gimel, that every single Jew has a unique portion in the Torah. Every person has a unique chalik in the Torah. That's the, uh, the treasure that's buried, about which the Pasuk says, if you will seek for it, like, like, uh, like silver, and like for a treasure, you will, you will pursue it. And then you'll come to understand the wisdom of the fear of Hashem and the knowledge of the Holy Ones. So that is like a treasure that's buried within the person that through his involvement in the study of Torah is able to find that treasure. That sounds really nice. So we have, we have um, you know, powerful truths that we really should focus on and contemplate and absorb and live with. In the Sefer or Tzafan, it says that a person's awareness of his exalted nature as being created in the image of Hashem should be emblazoned on his heart in such a manner that he never loses contact with it. You know, in Halacha, we have a concept of hesachadas. That's like, you know, it was out of my mind. I, I, I lost consciousness of this. I, I forgot about something. The Masiyah Das says there, it's written there, that we should not be Masiyah Das from the Rega. I'm always in touch with my exalted nature as the created being of Hashem, of such great closeness to Him, that it is, it is defining, it is, it is inspiring all my actions to want to bring that to fruition to be what I am truly meant to be, a being that is of likeness to Hashem. So, to emulate the Creator, to emulate the Melch, to emulate our Father, to be as like as we can be. So that is of a uh, great exalted nature that, um, yeah, that could give us a lot. <laughs> so uh, if, if our life situation sort of 
directs us to come to recognize that this should be the basis of our feeling of self-worth, then I hope that we can be okay with that. We can be grateful for that. We can, we can embrace that.